So Money, episode 87, Jonay Williams. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh. Thank you for joining me, whether you're on your jog, you're on your way to work, home from work, uh, lunch break. Thanks for spending some time with me. Today's guest is a professional musician turned entertainment attorney and business coach. Jonay Williams is the founder and CEO of J.A. Williams Law Firm, which helps artists, content creators, and entertainers navigate legal and intellectual property matters. So if you're a blogger, if you're an artist, if you are an actor, if you are a musician, um, if you're an author, you want to listen to this episode because there's a lot of information that you may need to know to help you secure your business. And this is her expertise. She decided to specialize, in fact, in helping this particular group of individuals, artists and uh, content creators, because she thought that they were particularly vulnerable to exploitation. And she speaks from experience. You know, years ago, Jonay, she was a victim. She uh, was not compensated or credited for her work. And that is what ultimately fueled her life's passion now to educate and protect the creative people in this world. In addition to her legal practice, Jonay runs the Artist Empowerment Group, and she there establishes to empower artists to really take charge of their careers and advises them on branding and marketing. Some of her clients have written best-selling books, they've created award-winning blogs, they've been nominated for Grammys, and they've hit the Billboard Top 100 and iTunes Top Album Charts. And prior to venturing out on her own, she served as a legal clerk for a New York-based entertainment law firm, and she did pro bono work for the arts in Massachusetts, where she worked on intellectual property and entertainment law matters for low-income artists. And actually, Jonay and I, full disclosure, we are working together on some initiatives, and she came to me very proactively and said, you need to do this, this, and this. I see these holes in your business. Let me fill them for you. So fortunate and happy that I have connected with her. Several takeaways from our interviews. One, what type of legal agreements you need to have in place as a solopreneur. So if you're in business for yourself and you're a one man or a one woman show, for the most part, this is what you need to know. Two, Jonay's strategy for reducing her income inconsistency when she was just starting out. So how she really created a buffer for herself when her income in the beginning of her entrepreneurial phase was kind of coming in drips and drabs. And how to find the right business coach. So important for people who want to pursue solopreneurship, entrepreneurship, is to have the right mentors in place and what you should do before hiring one. Without further ado, here is the lovely Jonay Williams. Jonay Williams, welcome to So Money. Great to have you. Oh, thank you so much. It's great to be here. I love uh, your line of work. And I have to say, you're our first attorney on So Money. Uh, we talk a lot on the show about the importance of having advisors in your circle as you develop uh, a, a, you know, a rich, happy life. Uh, and we talk about certified financial advisors. We talk about attorney. We talk about accountants. But we don't really talk about the importance of having legal counsel, attorneys. Um, and, and what you do, which is so unique, I think, is that you assist 
individuals, primarily artists, content providers, entrepreneurs who want to build and protect their brand and their business. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you do that. And, um, and I guess I would imagine that your clientele is ever expanding, especially as we are now in the digital age. So many people can become entrepreneurs and content providers um, faster these days, right? Yes, absolutely. Well, a couple of things. You won't. You will be surprised to know that um, often when I do interviews, they tell me that I'm the first attorney that's been <laughs> on there, which is so funny to me because I'm like, okay, the two things that you can't get away from when you're running a business, whether it's online or offline, is tax and the legal aspects of it. So it's um, it's very interesting to me that so many of these um, interviewees don't think about that. But I also know at the same time. It's a huge part of what it is that um, when you're pulling together your your foundations for your business and things like that, a lot of times people try to hop over the legal aspect of it because, you know, there there's lots of misconceptions like they don't know who, you know, what kind of lawyer to get. And is it going to be really expensive or is it is it even really necessary? These are the kind of things that come up so often. And so um, now that I work with so many different types of content providers and like you said, it is so easy now to become one. One and actually get online and actually start running a business. My, um, I have actually started to service three levels of types of entrepreneurs and and um, and entertainers and artists in the world. So there's like the people who are just starting off that are like, uh, I don't know mm-hmm. what I'm doing, uh, where where I'm going. I just know I have a message. I want to share it, and I want to you know create a business. So we have that group of people, and usually I start them off with working with them on educating them on what it is that they need and what it looks like to run a business from the legal aspects and what you should be thinking of and considering. And then we have emerging type of entrepreneurs who are kind of like on the rise, so to speak. So, you know, you, you see them out in the world and they're, you know, they're attracting a following and, you know, their messaging is, is pulled together and all of those things. And you see them and they're, you know, you see that they're going to be the leaders. Like it's very easy to start to see the people that are going to stand out. Um, so I work with those as well. And usually I'm working with them with actually pulling together their documents. They're starting to, um, encounter some problems. Like if they have really great content, maybe they're starting to, um, get people that want to, pirate their content and and steal it. Um, They might be um, thinking about, okay, I'm looking to hire my first employees. Like now I'm at the stage where I'm making, you know, I'm making a couple multiple six figures. I'm ready to kind of like expand what it is that I'm doing. Um, So how is it that I'm going to do that? And also I'm looking for additional revenue streams, for example. And, you know, what is it that I need to do to protect those? Or maybe I'm doing my first info product and, you know, as opposed to doing one-on-one coaching. And now I want to, you know, expand that or however it is that, you know, their, 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 uh, business is positioned. I'm usually the one that's saying, okay, from the, where it's positioned and where you want to grow to, this is what you need legally. And then we have the entrepreneurs who are the leaders. These are the ones that you generally talk to on your show. Mm -hmm. Um, the people who are, you know, at the top there, you know, they're the ones that everyone's looking to aspire to be like. So that is like the Marie Forleo's or Mm -hmm. like the Tony Robbins and the people of the world. And they're usually at a place where it's like, okay, you know, my empire is grown, it's growing. Now I'm looking for, you know, additional places to invest. Now I'm looking um, for 
How is it that I'm going to keep what I built, the empire that I built protected? How do I make sure that, you know, all of my um, intellectual property is in place? How is it that I create a massive more, um, a, a massive structure for uh, the way that I am working with my employees and, and, and people that are supporting me. And what that means is basically, you know, now I want to, you know, give them benefits and now I want to, you know, um, make sure that they have, you know, vacations and, you know, and do all the kind of things that they want to do. And at the same time, I'm looking to really expand on it and then also make sure that people aren't, um, taking and stealing my content. So mm-hmm. there's all these different types of, um, you know, things that each person needs to do at every level and every stage of business. So it really just depends on where you are in terms of what it is that I do and how I provide support. At the simplest level, let's say you're somebody who has a full-time job, but is on the side starting to establish a presence online, whether initially it's just blogging, then you're developing a following, you have an email list, perhaps you're then uh, considering coming out with an ebook or a product or an info product or service at the simplest, most basic level, what would you suggest uh, solopreneurs, I suppose, um, do legally to protect themselves? And, and if they were to work with someone like you, what would it cost? Mm, um, good questions. Well, the first thing that I usually tell, um, tell people who are just starting off is to get educated. And that's, um, generally you can either speak to an attorney or, you know, um, many attorneys have like, you know, starter, um, products and things like that. So for me, I have a course called secure your empire. And it's basically me showing you exactly what it is that you need to do at the starting stage. So if you're a solopreneur, generally what I tell you to do is you need a couple of different types of, um, agreements. And um, so the first thing that you're going to need is you're going to need a service agreement. And that's something or, you know, or if you're putting out a product, you need, you know, a product agreement. So the first thing that you need to do is make sure that you're protecting the money that's coming into your business. So you are setting up a contract with that person that is saying, hey, I want to buy this service or I want to buy this product. And you're giving them, okay, what are the the stipulations for buying this service or product? What's it going to cost? What's the price arrangement? Things like that. So that's the very first thing that you're going to need. And then after that, um, you're also going to need what we call a non-disclosure agreement. And a non-disclosure agreement is what is going to protect you as you are working with people in the world. For example, interns, you're um, talking to various different types of people and you want them to be um you want them in on your uh, ideas, for example, like you're saying, hey, you know, I'm putting this idea or maybe you're creating a website for the first time and you have a graphic designer and they're going to give you a contract that's going to protect them. But you also need a non-disclosure agreement to protect you and the private information that you have. So generally, I tell them that they need an NDA as well. And um, also some type of team agreement. That's usually an independent contractor's agreement um, for when you are first starting off and working with your very first virtual assistant or, you know, in-home assistant, for example, somebody who's going to be working with you and somebody who's going to be working with you and supporting you, you're going to need to have, um, 
you're going to need to have an agreement that's between them and you to make sure that you specifically um, are protected and your personal information is protected while you're working with contractors. Because, I mean, quite frankly, you know, most of the time we don't know these people. They come into our lives and you don't know what their background is. And you want to make sure that you have something that protects all the sensitive information that's in your business when you're first starting off. Um, so that that's a couple of things and then in addition to that if you're starting a website you're going to need terms and conditions and a privacy policy on your website um because as you're operating in the online space this this is just um, a part of operating in that space you have to have these things on your website so those are just a couple of things and it really just depends on the attorney that you work with what the costs are going to be that's associated with that so some um attorneys have you know packages for people working with them and then some some attorneys work a la carte and they work on just one contract at a time for you just depending on what it is that you ask for and what it is that you need and then some of them also have um, also uh, have different types of package um, proposals where, you know, you there's a certain amount of things that you want to work, that you want them to work for you. And they put that together and they say, okay, this is specifically what this, these, this package of things that you want is going to cost you. So it really just depends on who it is that you're working with and how they're arranged. All attorneys have different types of pricing structures, just like all other types of entrepreneurs. So, it, so it's really about who you decide to work with. And, and you can ask in the first meeting, what are your fees? And, and, and that should be pretty should be easily disclosed, right? Yeah, the standard. If you mm-hmm. if you talk to an attorney and um and your first meeting with them, you're wanting you're basically interviewing them to see if there's somebody that you generally want to work with and if they are, then what you do is you um speak to them about, okay, um what's your fee structure? How is it set up? And how is it that I can get what it is that I need and what's it going to cost me so that I know where I'm at? So, mm-hmm. it really just depends on um on the attorney that you're working with and they're just like every other type of practitioner. Like when you're hiring an accountant, you know, it just depends on how the accountant's fees are structured and what they cost. So it's perfectly fine for you to ask those questions. In fact, you should. Absolutely. Well, Janae, I also wanted to bring you on board to the show, not just because I wanted to um, pick your brain about legalese, but also you are an outstanding uh, business mind entrepreneur yourself. And as with many of my guests on the show, um, you probably have a, a financial story and some philosophies and some habits. And, and I think we can all learn from that. So mm-hmm. I'd like to transition now to my so many questions and, and start <laughs> off by asking you, Jonay, what is your biggest, most impactful financial philosophy, your money mantra that helps you make wiser decisions with your business and in your, in your life? I think that the biggest, the biggest thing that I, um, that I look at in terms of my philosophy is to always have supportive team around me that are financial advisors. So I have a personal financial advisor. I also have a bookkeeper. I have an accountant and I have a business um, financial advisor. And obviously when, you know, when you're starting off and you have a, you have a passion for what it is that you do, (laughs) you know, and you are an expert at that or, you know, or you're really great at that and you're looking to become, you know, a thought leader in that area 
area of your life and you don't necessarily know all the different nuances and different things that you should be doing in your business or whatever to make sure that you're making smart investment choices and smart decisions with the money that you bring in. And so for me, it is imperative that I always have strong advisors around me to help me to understand where it is that I should be placing my money and making it work for me so that I'm not working so hard. That is smart. So it's almost like you have a um, a trust team, like a brain trust, a financial brain trust. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I keep one around me. So um, as I've grown in size, I've had to, you know, switch advisors because different advisors are um, are great at different things. So when I was first starting off, it was really about how to, you know, deal with my money while I was at the same time trying to get more of it coming through the door. So when is it that I need to do to save? Do I need to invest or how is it that I need to invest? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, these are the kinds of questions that come up initially or or even, or as my money isn't consistent, what should I be doing with it? And how is it that I should be, you know, stretching it? <laughs> well, I'm- that's a really great point. And I get this question a lot. And, and for me, I'm in this boat too, is you have, you, you know, we're entrepreneurs, we're solopreneurs, we're um, not making that two week paycheck consistently. Mm -hmm. So how, what's your number one tip, I guess, for somebody who has income that is, uh, you know, random, comes in in drips here and there? What do you do? I think that for um, when I first started, what I did was I created, um, I created a supplemental type of income to come in while the income in my firm was inconsistent. So um, it is hard to try to, and this has happened to me and so many other entrepreneurs, it is really hard to try to figure out how you're, what are you going to do with your money while it's inconsistent? So what I did was I sat down and I looked at, okay, what is the baseline amount of income that I need in order to just make it to zero? And so I looked at what are all of the expenses that I have and what does that number look like? And then I looked at, okay, right now my firm is bringing in X and it's kind of inconsistent. It's dripping in. It's not really coming in consistently. So where, how is it that I can actually build some consistency? while I'm building the base of my firm. So what I ended up doing is, is that I looked at what other skills that I had. And one of the skills that I, um, that I had that's really um, helped me is I'm really great at advising um, artists and helping them with their, with their careers and helping them understand what they needed to do to um, create a fantastic brand and just advise them on how, what that looks like. And so what I ended up doing while I was um, trying to build up the income and my exposure and whatnot with my firm is I created, I, I kind of, with all the different artists that I worked with already that were either friends of mine or people that I had worked with in, you know, in previous type of settings, just advising them for free. I basically told them, I said, Hey, you know, now I have a, um, a structure for me to be able to work with you on a continuous basis. And I basically created a six month consulting (laughs) where Mm. I worked with artists on consulting them on their business because that, so I looked at the, the, the audience that I was already a part of, which was the artist audience and looked at what it was that they needed. And I created an offering for them so that I could create consistent income for myself and be able to serve the audience that I wanted to serve. After I did that, that I was able to fill that hole. So I had a financial hole with what I had for baseline income that I needed. I filled that hole with a different service offering that was different than what my law firm was. 
And um, and I was able to create consistent income that way in the, while I was building up my firm. And then what ended up happening is that my firm started to grow. Um, I started to get more exposure. I started to get um, more you know, stable in terms of my income in the firm. And then I kind of scaled back my um, consulting practice and ended up changing it to um, a different type of business. So now at this point, I run two businesses that I really absolutely enjoy and love. And that all came because I was basically trying to fill a financial hole at the beginning of my law firm when I first started it. Right. And so I guess also a bit of advice for folks who are working nine to five or have a, uh, a corporate job, and want to kind of venture off on their own, don't quit your day job until you've got that cushion, right? That safety <laughs> net. And for you, I think that was so brilliant. You started that consulting firm or that consulting service rather for a period of time to get your to get your nest egg, you know, <laughs> so you could, you know, take some risk with your business. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And what happened for me, Farnoosh, is that um, I was working, you know, for the first, when I was building up my firm, I was working at a securities litigation firm. So I was doing both the securities litigation firm. I was doing, um, I was working on my own law firm and then I started the consulting practice so that I could transition out of working for the firm. So, um, I was doing, Oh that. my Lord. <laughs> I know it was crazy. I was doing that and I was working really, you know, actually really crazy hours, but um, but I was able to transition out because I built up that consulting practice. So, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, during that time, it was really, really, really a, a hustle time. So, I mean, I think that that's one p- thing that people need to understand is, is that if you really want to do this, you know, your desire has to be really strong and you have to like take that and really like you know, plow into the business because if you don't, there's no way that you're going to be able to to get to that point. If you're just kind of like, oh, I'm just going to thumb through it. I was hungry. I was like, no, mm-hmm. I'm going to make this work. I am going to figure it out, whatever I need to do, <laughs> and it's going to happen. <laughs> well, I, I love hearing stories like yours, and it always reminds me of, um, you know, how maybe you were raised and you say you were hungry, you were motivated, you're a hard worker. I'm sure this is either in your DNA or it was part of your environment growing up. You witnessed this. So you had role models. Take us back, Jone, to uh, young Jone. Mm-hmm. I, I want to ask you now for your greatest financial memory that has now in a, as an adult really helped to uh, be sort of a compass for you, um, be a, a a pivotal was a pivotal time in your in your childhood in terms of how you think about money today. Mm, that's a really great question. I think that what we didn't have a lot of money when I was growing up, um, but my mom was very she was very much into making sure that we were in the best environment possible for success. So my mom was very very diligent in making sure that we were a part of extracurricular activities, which you know unfortunately a lot of kids don't have these days. But we had so we had sports and we had arts and we had music and all of these different things. And my mom made sure that we were a part of all of that. But also that stuff cost money a lot of money to kind of, you know, create that. And so my earliest memory was, is that I actually started being an entrepreneur when I was in elementary school. <laughs> like I started a business where I was creating friendship bracelets for people. And I, and I'm not even kidding. Like I had orders, I had a case. What were you selling all- them for? 
I was I was selling them because little girls like pretty. No, like things. what was the price? Well, I want to know. <laughs> oh, I, thought you I don't even know. Well, I get the, the I get the why. I want to know how much. Little girls like pretty things to wear. <laughs> um, I think that the um, I think that I, if I remember this correctly, I think that the price was around like four or five dollars or something like that. It wasn't a lot of money, um, per bracelet. But what I did was, um. My um my mom, she actually bought me a case. And so I had um and she would take me to the store was called Joanne Fabrics. So it was like it had all the different fabrics and all the different types of string for, you know, for the friendship bracelet. So my mom would take me there every single week and I would get and I would refill all my colors or if there was new pretty colors that came out, I would buy those. And I would literally take orders from my friends and they would be like, oh, I want this color and this color and I want it to be this kind. And I would sit. And then while everybody else was doing recess, I was actually sitting on, and I remember this so clearly, I was sitting up on, you know, like when little kids go up on the slide. Mm -hmm. And so, you you know, you're walking up the stairs and then that's that little area where all the kids stand and then they go down the slide. I would sit in that area and I would put my bracelets around the bars and I would make my bracelets. Oh during my the, gosh. That's what I was doing in elementary school when <laughs> all the other kids were playing. You know, so I, that, I, I was just talking to a, a, a guest the other day who's trying to incorporate more entrepreneurship within the elementary schools. Mm-hmm. Um, her name is uh, Jamie Tardy. She's the host of um, the Mill- uh, Eventual Millionaire podcast. And she mm-hmm. was thinking that, you know, the school system today, and I'm sure when we were growing up too, like it does not encourage entrepreneurship. It's like mm-hmm. the bell rings, sit in your chair, raise your hand, don't speak until you're spoken to. Um, uh, don't take risks. If you do, you're going to get sent to the principal's office. And so it doesn't surprise me that you were secretly making these bracelets like <laughs> on the recess floor. Um, and I love that you had that uh, that drive even then. So I knew that it was not for nothing, you know, <laughs> like yeah, you had this in you even uh, as a young girl. Yeah. And I, and I had my first job when I was 14 and most people don't, um, you know, most kids don't start working until, you know, it's time for them to buy a car, maybe 16, 17 years old, or maybe they don't start working or ever start working. Um, so for me, it's always just kind of been a part of my life to create my own way and create my own money. Um, and so that's something that I've, that I've always done. And even when I went to law school, like I, most people go to law school and that's all they do, especially the first year is they are full-time in law school. I was full-time in law school and I also had a full-time job. What? (laughs) I had to. Oh my gosh. You make me feel like such a slacker. (laughs) No, but I'm saying. Just the idea of law school is a full-time job. Just the idea of like. (laughs) It is. And and the thing is like, it was like, it's that drive because it was like, I had to, you know what I mean? There wasn't any, there wasn't any option. It wasn't like I could go to, you know, my father or somebody and be like, hey, you know, I need money for law school. I had to create it. And so for me, it's always been this, this idea in my mind it's like if whatever it is that I want I have to create it Mm. and so you know this has just been a part of you know just my own personal journey and I and that's the reason why I you know I work as hard as I do but I also know that there are now in in the age of technology there's so many ways to do things a lot easier so now it's for me my transition is not to work so much harder but really just to be savvier and work smarter Smarter. yes me too Well, along the way, as you were um, 
on this journey to, to success, what was a big failure for you, a big financial failure? Mm, thank you for clarifying that because I was thinking of... Uh... We have all sorts of failures in life. <laughs> I was like, there's so many like, failures. Uh, I'll specify financial <laughs> failure. Um, yeah. Did you ever go wrong with money? And if you did, share that with us. We'd love to relate. <laughs> yes, totally. I understand that completely. I think that one of the things that um, that I did that I feel like I I wasn't very smart about initially was I spent a lot of money um, initially on different types of um, group programs and products without really investigating the person first. Now, I am 100% 100 in in support of somebody getting an, um, a business advisor or a business coach to help them along the path. I have one. I've always had one since the beginning of my um, starting my firm. And I, I believe in that. But what I didn't do is I didn't initially look at the dif- the different people and get recommendations or look at testimonials and just kind of get a feel for who it was that I thought might be a really great advisor for me initially. And so I ended up spending quite a bit of money that I'm, I kind of like scoff at how much money I spent just like on different programs and on different people, just testing them out when in actuality, I could have did it the smarter way and actually talked to some of their, um, some of the people who've gone through their programs programs or maybe even got a referral from some of my more successful friends. Like I could have done that, but I didn't do that, you know, at the very, very start. And so I wasted a couple thousands of dollars in in the beginning mm-hmm. <laughs> when I didn't have much money for me um, to instead of actually getting a referral. And what ended up happening was is that my friend saw that I was struggling with this and didn't really. And she was like, you know, you really, you know, she had a really great business at the time. She was at six figures, and I was just starting. And she was like, you know, you really need some help. You need to talk to my advisor because you know, look at how I've grown and look how fast I've grown. And you know, this is what she, um, and you know, she teaches this and this is what it is that I think you need. So I ended up having a conversation with that woman and she ended up being my, um, business coach and she still is today. I think that's really sound advice. We learn from your, from failure, right? And I think right now we have so much, uh, at uh, this begging for our money, you know, from info products to courses online, everyone's got a course, everyone's got a, uh, you know, a, a consulting service. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be really careful um, because, yeah, you could easily spend thousands and thousands of dollars in a year, uh, quote unquote, you know, educating and coaching yourself to death. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And so many people do it because, you know, you get the shiny object syndrome. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. this person looks like they got, you know, something cool going on. And oh, look at this person. But I think, but I think that it's really smart for you to take a holistic look at what it is that you um, think that you need, and then actually go and speak to someone individually about what it is that you're kind of um, dealing with and going through. But I think it's really important to kind of get referrals from people who are more successful than you. Um, that's so, that's, so, it, it will save you a lot of time and a lot of money. <laughs> Let's flip it, Jonay. Let's talk about your greatest, proudest financial moment, a success, a so money moment. 
I love that. I love the title of your show. Can Thank I you. Tell you? <laughs> a so money moment. Oh, so good. I think that the um, a so money moment that I had was when I was able to secure my very first six month retainer. And when I did that, it was like, oh my God, you know, like I had that like exciting, like feeling inside um, of being a, or saying to myself, like, wow, I actually can do this because I had someone tell me that I couldn't. <laughs> I had someone say to me, you know, there's no way that you're going to be able to make your firm sustainable. It's not going to happen for you. And I kind of looked at that person and I was like, you don't know me. <laughs> and so what, so being able to secure that very, very first retainer and know that I had, um, you know, X amount of dollars that were going to come in for that person was like a fantastic, exciting moment for me because I knew what I wanted. Like I knew that my dream was possible in that moment, as opposed to feeling it inside, but not really seeing the results of it. I felt it and I saw the results of being able to do that. And um, another so, mo so money moment was um, I was working extremely, extremely hard. I had a year where I was just like, I was plowing through it and moving and making it happen. And my goal was to hit over 200,000 and I did it. And not only did I get over 200,000, but I got well over 200,000. And it was like the last month of the, the year I was speaking to my bookkeeper and she was like, okay, you're at X, Y, Z, you know, all right, it's time to make it happen. And I was like, oh man, you know, and I felt that like energy of like, okay, I need to like, you know, make this happen in order to make my goal. And I'm very, very goal driven. If you probably can't tell a little, so, <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you're setting these goals, I have to ask you, what is your habit? What is your number one habit to uh, securing a goal and achieving a goal? I, there are two things that I do. Number one is I look at um, what is it that I really truly desire? Like what are the the success metrics for me? So I say, okay, um, if I looked at success and defined it for myself, what would it look like? It would look like I got this particular, you know, accolade, for example, or I got this particular, or I hit this particular revenue goal, or I launched this particular program. And so th then I look at it and I say, okay, these are my goals. So my goal is to, you know, get this accolade, is to do this program, it's to, you know, hit this revenue goal. And then I sit down and I write out the steps, like what would the steps look like in, in order for me to achieve that particular goal? And then after that, then I start to actually work those steps with the intention set that I'm going to hit the goal. So it really is about mindset and action combined together. So for me, it's overall, what does success look like? So that's the first layer. Then saying, okay, defining what success is. Those are my milestones, my, you know, my major goals. Then I take myself through a process of what are the steps to actually achieving those goals. And then I just start working the steps with the belief that the goal is going to happen. Yeah. It sounds like you reverse engineer it. Yes. That's exactly <laughs> what I do. Oh, that's a good way of putting yeah. it. Yeah. I reverse engineer my goals. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Let's shift to my so money fill in the blanks. This is the fun time where we get to kind of, you know, be very stream of conscious, stream I of consciousness. That. First mm -hmm. thing that comes to your mind, fill, finish the sentence. If I won the lottery tomorrow, ungodly amounts of money, first thing I would do. Buy my mama a house. Aw. <laughs> Where did you grow up, Jonay? 
Um, I grew up all over. I had I grew up in uh, Michigan is where I'm from. So I'm from Detroit and I grew up um, in Michigan in different parts in Texas and in Georgia. And so my mom is currently in um, in Georgia and she goes back and forth and she um, helps my grandmother in Texas. So I would love to buy her a house. Oh, well, I hope you get to that goal. Reverse engineer it, Janae. Yes, yes, that's my plan. I'm going to reverse engineer that goal. <laughs> what is one expense that makes your life easier and or better? Having a business coach. Hmm. Yeah, tell me about that because I feel like that's the new trend. Um, mm. and, and some people might say, oh, well, you know, I roll. Like, what's a business coach going to – is this like, you know, a life coach? What's a business coach? Mm. Well, I will tell you this. There, um, I look at who are the smartest people in the world. So I look at people like Warren Buffett. I look at people like Oprah. I look at people like, um, you know, even Donald Trump, for example. None of them run their businesses without an advisor, without a business coach or advisor. They might not say the word coach, but it, but they have business advisors who help them and to teach them specifically what it is that they need to be um, doing. And I think that it's very, very important to have mentors because you don't know everything and you don't know what you don't know. So for me, um, it was imperative that I had um, really smart advisors around me. I want to be the dumbest person around me. <laughs> like, I want everybody else <laughs> yeah, to be smart. That's a good way to think of it. <laughs> it's true. I want to have really incredible, smart, savvy people around me that um that not only that I can add value to their life based off of my own talent, but I also want to learn from them. So for me, um I wouldn't have been able to get to where I am right now without having um a business advisor. And so um you know, if you don't like the word coach, it's the same thing. Just somebody to teach you what it is that you need to learn in order for you to um, and hold you accountable to achieving the goals that you're supposed to achieve. So with life coaching, it's a little bit different because it's really about how it is that you want to live your life, your overall lifestyle. And with a business coach, it's more about how is it that you actually want to build your business to support your life? Mm -hmm. How is it that you want your business to look and what is it going to take for you to get there? So just like, you know, uh, athletes have coaches on the field, they don't know everything. They have somebody that's going to say, OK, I'm getting in the game. Coach, where am I going? Coach, where put me where I'm supposed to go. You know, they have that person and they have that person that keeps them accountable to achieving their greatness. And so I think that everybody, every single person on the planet who's running a business can benefit from having a business advisor. Something for me to think about. Mm -hmm. I'll be taking applications, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. How about a splurge? We like to enjoy our money. You work very hard for your money. So what is one splurge among perhaps many that you <laughs> indulge in that, um, that you probably spend way too much money on, but it's worth every penny? I'll travel. I love to travel and I plan to do even more of it this year and next year coming up. So I absolutely love, love, love going to different countries and different places and just kind of in, in, engulf, engulfing myself in the culture. And last year I went to Paris for the very first time and it was so magical. Wow, and first time. Oh yeah, my, my gosh. Time. It was so it was so exciting. And I've been to Europe before. Yes. Um, but I've never been to Paris. And so going there, it just it was like it was magical. And now yeah. I want to learn French. So <laughs> Oh no, that's a that's the precise word, magical. When I first stepped 
foot in Paris. I was mm. 21 and I felt and I'd been studying French all my academic life starting from 6th grade and I was minoring in it in college and I really felt like in a past life I it just felt familiar to me and it could have just been all the immersion that I had been going through in school like learning the culture but once you're there it's like it is it takes you it just takes your breath away it is the yes. probably the most beautiful city that I've ever been to and probably ever will Yes, it's so it's so beautiful. And when you go, when you step foot, like you said, when you step foot on the land, it feel like you're transported to a whole nother world or something. Yes. It's just and they and and I and I basically I told one of my friends, I said, whatever it is that you love, like Paris just magnifies it. So, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you're into, if you're really into food, you know, the food is exquisite when you're if you're really into you know culture and art like it's or just people watching or or the best people watching in the world (laughs) right exactly so true or people watching or if you're into like you know nature and gardens I mean whatever it is that you love like Paris just magnifies it Mm. and they really just kind of you know you forget about technology I didn't I didn't check my phone or my email or anything while I was there I was just completely engulfed in just being present and I think think that Paris is a place that really brings you to presence. Yes. Well, let's go back a little bit again, back down memory lane, Janae, and tell me what is the one thing you wish you had known about money? The one thing that I wish that I knew about money was how to save it. Um, I think that when I was younger, um, we, you know, I really lived my life as kind of like a cash life. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, it was basically like money goes in, money gets spent, money goes in, money gets spent. And that's kind of how I was, um, you know, for a very long time. And I really, really wish that I had been either taught or guided in the way of um, understanding how to save money, because it would have been nice to have like a really, really fat nest egg at a certain point in my life. Like I'm in my 30s right now. And had I learned how to save from very early, it would have been nice to be able to just kind of have built that, you know, really strong cushion for myself. And maybe things wouldn't have had to be so hard, even if it was just putting, you know, $10 a week away, something, right. you know, like that, you know, eventually these little things that you do in life um, can really add up to really big dividends later on. And so I really wish that um, I would have known how to do that because I was really good at generating money. I just wasn't that great at saving yes. it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Rick Edelman, one of my guests uh, previously, he is uh, a financial advisor and he did the math and he figured that if you're in your early 20s, you save $3 a day, $3 a day, compounded over you know the next 35, 40 years, you'll have a million dollars by retirement. Wow. Which isn't to say that's all you need at retirement. These days, you know, things, life is expensive, but- Life is very expensive. $3 a day, we can all do $3 a day. We all can, but the thing is, is that we don't. And that's and and the thing is, is like, I I love Ramit Sethi's like philosophy on just like automating your savings. Yes. Because if you automate it and you just you don't even think about it, you don't see it, and it just comes out of your check. Guess what? You know you you adjust your life and you'll and you'll make it work. But you're not going to. Most people won't actively say, "Okay, now I have to take some money and go actually put it into my savings account." But automating it makes it so much easier. So, um, when I had a corporate job, because I worked at John Hancock, 
I had my, um, you know, I wanted to get the matching for retirement. So I had them take out, you know, the, um, they matched up to 3% at the time. So I had them take out 3% so that I could get a hundred percent match. And I, you know, and my life adjusted around that, um, that, that change, you know, cause it was pre-tax dollars. So they just took it out, put it in there. And I had, you know, savings in my retirement, you know, in my 401k because of that. And had I done that with automating my savings when I was in my early 20s, then I would be in a really different place right now, I believe, you know, in terms of what I had in the bank for nest egg. So, you know, if, if I, I think that that was one of the things that had I had I learned that early on, it, it would have made life a lot easier. <laughs> right, right. And by the way, Ramit is a friend. He is a guest on the show. And folks, his book is called I Will Teach You To Be Rich. Yeah. Website is also the same title. And he is Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, I love Remy. He's 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 great. He's a he's a really great advisor. He's a um he's a great person. And mm-hmm. you know, I've met him multiple times at this point and you know, and you know, we've shared laughter over, you know, drinks and stuff. And he's just he's an awesome person to just kind of learn from, be around, and to also uh read. So definitely yes. try to get all of that. All of that, yes. For meet fans for life. A charity that you love giving to, which one? The Ali Forney Center. Um, the Ali Forney Center is a charity here in um, in New York that helps homeless LGBT youth um, by giving them housing, putting them through um, job training and things like that. So um, kids who have been kind of thrown out of their house because they were um, gay um, or, you know, for whatever reason that they're out on the streets, they're able to get services at Ali Forney. So they, um, and they also, Ali Forney also has a health center for them. So they give them, you know, condoms, they give them, um, you know, HIV and AIDS testing. They are um, just, a, they're a really wonderful organization that really looks out for um, the homeless um, LGBT youth out here in the, um, the state. So I love That's them. wonderful. Yes. And finally, I'm Jonay Williams, and I'm so money because I am so money because I am accountable. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, accountable to yourself. I am accountable to myself, and I'm accountable to others. So that is why I am so money. <laughs> well, thank you so much for shedding your wisdom on our show today. I love your story and I can relate to a lot of it. And I look forward to maybe even working with you in the future, Janae. Thank you so much. Tell us where we can find you. Um, absolutely. And first of all, let me just say it's so great to be here. And I thank you for putting on this podcast. I know that you're helping so many people and it's really, you know, it's reaching the hands of the people that need it. So thank you for putting it on. And you can find me at jawilliamslaw.com. So if you just put that in jawilliamslaw.com, you will find my website. All right, everyone, head over there. And of course, you've got all the links for Jonay at somoneypodcast.com. Jonay, have a wonderful, wonderful week. Thank you. Thank you. You do the same. That is a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Jonay Williams, please check out her website, jawilliamslaw.com. She is on Twitter at jwilliamsesq. We've got all of this info and links over at somoneypodcast.com. There, of course, also the transcript, the comments. Also, there you can ask me a question. Click on Ask Farnoosh. 
Let me know what's on your money mind every weekend, Saturday and Sunday. I dedicate the show to responding to you directly, answering your questions that have been coming in the last week or two. And as a reminder, if you'd like the chance to win a free 15-minute 15-minute money session with me one-on-one, just hop onto iTunes, leave a review for this show, and each Saturday, I select one new reviewer to get a 15-minute money blitz with me. And I've been doing this, as I said, for a while now. I love, love, love it. And so please, if this interests you, leave a review and hopefully we will connect. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks again to my guest, Joni Williams. Hope to see you right back here tomorrow. In the meantime, hope your day is so money.